Welcome to The Savvy Founder, the one place for entrepreneurs and business owners, away from the everyday bustle, where we help you find your path to a profitable and bright future. Now here's your host, The Savvy Founder and armchair sociologist himself, Philip Topham. Hello and welcome to The Savvy Founder. I'm Philip Topham, your host, and I am very happy to have Nathan Beckard here. Where are you? Where are you calling from today? Calling in from Marin County, California, which is just across the Golden Gate Bridge from San Francisco, about ten minutes north of San Francisco. Very nice, a beautiful area, close close to the redwoods, uh, close to the wine districts, uh, the Napa Valley, just a just a little ways away. Yeah, not too far. It's it is nice if you keep going up the coast. It uh, there's dramatic coastal scenery, and if you go inland a little bit, that's where all the wine country is. So lots of fun places to explore if you're ever out here. Yeah, so you and I got connected. Uh, you, you've been in the startup world, capital world for a really long time, and have learned a lot about raising money and capital. So why don't we start off with uh, giving you a, a thumbnail of how did you get into the whole uh, startup ecosystem fundraising process? Sure, I'll try not to go back too far. Let's see. I, I, went, I grew up in Boulder, Colorado, great little town, and wanted to go to the West Coast. Uh, that's all I knew, wanted to go to the West Coast. So my dad and I rented a, a convertible car many years ago we drove from san diego up the coast to like oregon or washington stopping at little universities all along the way um and somehow ended up right deciding right in the middle to go to santa clara university which is kind of in the heart of silicon valley or i guess the southern end of silicon valley so you know, that was kind of the first exposure to the tech startup world is just going to college there and doing internships. And then afterwards, um, I went out and worked for a little while in investment banking during the dot-com bubble, boom, boom slash bubble. And that was helping companies, many of them, two-year-old companies, one-year-old company go public, which was a crazy thing. And so got exposure to, you know, kind of that. And then went on and worked at... Um, Piper Jeffrey and J.P. Morgan's private placement group helping companies raise later stage rounds. So kind of just kind of fell into the startup world. Really love uh, working with startups and the energy around entrepreneurship and, uh, and, and developed an expertise in fundraising that became my sort of skill and trade. And then that's what led to, you know, ultimately founding Founders Suite. Yeah, great. It, it, it It's remarkable as, as I, keep interviewing different people in the industry, how everybody uh, has a different story and a different journey. And, and together we can share all those stories and get a good picture of what's going on. And so I'm excited to, to chat about that. You've seen a lot of things from, like you said, the dot-com, dot-bomb, whatever you want to call it to today. Uh, one of the things I've always seen with startups and startup founders is the very first thing, whenever I go to a, an event, they're always looking for the investors and they're always going, hey, I'm, I'm John, I've got this great thing, what do you think too? And the investor immediately says, well, 
come back when, sure. you know, so in, in your course of, you know, when should a, when should a founder really start thinking about capital raising and, and, and talking to investors and how should they go about doing that? Yeah, good question. Lots, lots to that question. I'd say, um, you know, one of the things that drives me crazy and I think is the wrong way to think about it is when I meet founders who say, if I had some money, then I could start this business, right? Yeah. If I got, if someone funds me, then I can do this. Bad way to think about it. Like real entrepreneurs get things going on their own one way or another. And there are a lot of different ways to get get things going, but you have to have it in motion before investors get interested in you, right? Yep. Um, that can mean either learning how to code and building a site yourself. That could mean like in our case, I'm a business guy. I can't write a line of code to save my life, but I was consulting to companies, taking the revenue from that consulting, sending it to Poland, to some engineers in Poland to build our MVP of our site, right? I mean, um, not paying myself for two years, basically, while my wife was supporting the family, you know, the entrepreneurs get it, get it done, get it right. going in some way or another. And then once you've got something going, um, and ideally, when you've found some even rough idea of product market fit, where people are signing up for your product, people are using your product, people are coming back to your product or to your service or your site. Then I think it's interesting, uh, potentially interesting to investors, right? Um, if you can go into an investor and say, hey, I've got this bare bones site, it doesn't do that much, but what it does, it does pretty well. And we've got this many, you know, People, this is our funnel. We've got this many visitors coming per day, this percent sign up, this percent of those actually swipe their credit card and they're coming back every month and their engagement's increasing. I'm, now I'm ready to go raise capital, really scale this up. That's pretty interesting to investors. I think that's a good time um, to really start thinking about fundraising when you have some momentum going. Yeah. Now, having said that, I think it's actually good to initiate the dialogue with investors even before that. So one of the things, one of the great tactics I like to tell founders is to- Hang on just a second. We'll come back to that. So what, okay. we, what we recapped, what, just to recap for everybody, you know, the old premise, uh, if I had money, I could make money is a really flawed strategy. You really, uh, entrepreneurs have to learn how to be scrappy, get something going and prove that they can do something, yep. right? Once they've proven they've got, they can do something at the point that they can start proving they're attracting people or ideas or social proof, something to themselves, then they're generating momentum. I, I think that's the three things you, three things, you know, that you said, and then, but then you're going on to say, if they're doing that, how they talk to the investors while they're doing all that stuff. Yeah, so we're, where I'm starting to go with that is that it's great to bring investors along on your journey a little bit, like, you know, identifying relevant investors, and that takes some work, that takes some time and effort to, as I call it, put together a target list of investors or build a target list. These are people who invest in your space, in your sector, and you want, you know, potentially you want to get them funding your company. So building the list and then reaching out to them, getting an intro if you can, 
but even reaching out to them, you know, six to 12 months before you plan to raise capital and just kind of tell them, hey, this is what we're doing. And we just launched our MVP. Uh, we've got some interesting early traction or market feedback on this. You know, I would love to keep you, um, keep you apprised of our journey, kind of keep you up to date with the progress we're making. So you get to know us, get an early, you know, sneak peek of what we're building here. And you basically like start that dialogue with investors. Maybe you even lean on them, ask them some questions or feedback if they're willing to, you know, have a quick chat with you or Zoom or whatever it may be. But basically, short version is getting investors kind of following along in your journey as you're making progress. Now, if you're not making any progress, then, you know, that doesn't work. You've got to kind of do these things hand in hand, making progress in the business and keeping the investors updated, communicated, communicating with them. Got it. So you said something, uh, you know, finding relevant investors. Can we unpack that? What does that really mean? You know, is that just calling, you know, Uncle Bob and uh, Aunt Mary? Well, if of course, it depends on the stage you're at. So at the very earliest stages, if you if you have zero dollars in your bank account or you have no revenue or income to start your startup, you know, you would typically lean on Uncle Bob. You would lean on friends, family, and fools, right? The three Fs. Friends, family, and fools to, to raise whatever it may be, 50K, 100K to get things going. Um, now, those aren't always the best investors for most startups because there's always the the risk, the likely risk that you lose all that money and now you're dealing with the the, the family gatherings at Thanksgiving and Uncle Bob's pretty angry at you. So, you know, I don't always recommend going after the friends and family, but once you get beyond that, once you get something going, you get a little momentum, then you're looking at, you know, angels, angel investors are come in all shapes and sizes. It could be the, the wealthy dentist and doctor, you know, that's looking to dabble in private company market, startup market. It could be people who have been in your space who made money. Maybe they had an exit. Maybe they were an early employee at, you know, Facebook or Google, whatever it may be. Uh, or, or or firms in your space that and now they're, you know, semi-retired and investing in startups and identifying those people can take some legwork, but they're out there. Um, and then, of course, as you get later, we're talking about venture capital and, and family offices and professional investors. So kind of depends on the stage you're at, of course, um, you know, but then it's it's really identifying people, people and firms that invest in your type of deal, whatever that type of deal may be. Yep. Got it. And, and and so in that space, there's um, I I started out in uh, Orange County, California, and we arguably you know are are one of the wealthy counties in California, uh, but we have a investment ecosystem that sort of hits below its weight, meaning that there's uh, there's more deals if you go up to San Francisco and the Bay Area or go down to San Diego or go to Colorado, but here uh, yeah. they fly over. In in if you're a startup and you're in the middle of uh, you know the country, you're in Cincinnati or you're in Memphis, uh, what what is what's the advice? You tell them to hop on a plane and go someplace else, or or can they raise from where they're at? It's yeah, it's a good question. There are a couple strategies to that. Um, first of all, like, believe it or not, 
startup capital is it is still very concentrated in Silicon Valley and New York and a few other hotspots around the country and around the globe, but it's very spread out now. I mean, there are, I want to say, don't even quote me on this, but at least a few hundred, at least 300 plus angel groups all over the country. Yes, Bay Area has like six or seven angel groups, but you can probably go to Cincinnati uh, and find the Cincinnati Angels group uh, there. I, I don't know for sure that there is one, but I'm sure there probably is, right? Um, and oftentimes they'll have a, an application process or ideally maybe you get referred in, so you'll have to network a little bit, you know, but there's probably an angel group. There's probably an Orange County angel group, I, I would guess. Now, having said that, it's also quite relevant, especially in, in today's world with Zoom and everyone working from wherever, <laughs> that there's no reason you have to be limited to the Cincinnati Angel Group. Um, you know, finding people who are who get your vision, your business, regardless of where they're located, yes, absolutely. And, and it's really become even in the last two or three years, more acceptable to kind of be pitching from anywhere. It doesn't really matter. Location agnostic, I think, is the phrase I'm looking for here. You know, so um, so yeah, I would look both locally and and just look for people who have an affinity with what you're doing. Yeah, this it's uh, I certainly seen that shift with COVID that that you can pitch from anywhere. Uh, there's a lot of pitches happen on Clubhouse. It's just audio only. You get those introductions, and you get large numbers of people in the audience listening and reach out and connect. Uh, I, I always, uh, I, I think the process to me for the fundraising is you've got to talk to a lot of people and they've got to be aware of you. There's the old adage. It's not, it's not who, you know, it's who knows you. And sure. most importantly, who talks, who talks nice things about you when you're not in the room and building that relationship of, of trust takes a long time. Uh, the more you're out there, producing your vision of the future. This is what I'm building and this is the problem I'm solving. I'm on the hunt and I'm not going to stop until I've solved this problem. Uh, that goes a long way to attract people to, to the business. And I, and I, and I agree wholeheartedly with you on the, you know, don't start with eh, the whining. I need the money. Uh, that's not going to get people very excited when you start with, Hey, I'm going to solve this problem and I'm going to take no prisoners until I do. Uh, yeah. That's we want those people, right? Absolutely. Now, yep. uh, it, it, and how did then you come up with this uh, this idea around uh, Founder Suite? You know what what caused you to say, "Hey, you know, I'm uh, instead of working in the system, I'm going to build something different and extra to the system." Yeah. What was the, so, what was the problem you were trying to solve? What was the problem I trying to solve? So after leaving so you know i worked a little bit at jp morgan's private placement group i mentioned that that was helping later stage companies raise capital then i left that didn't want to really work in new york on wall street and but took the playbook so to speak uh, of how to raise capital and came out to silicon valley and hung out my own shingle as a consultant it was called venture Oak archetypes i uh, had a couple partners but we were helping early stage companies raise capital and we did that for like a 10 years or so. And typically we would get a startup on board as a customer. We'd help them with their pitch deck, help them put together a financial model. And then we would do the research and build them a target list of investors. 
Um, and then we would put it all in a fancy spreadsheet. Um, so like the, the first problem was it was always really hard to, to build that list of investors that took forever. Still takes a long time, but it took forever, forever back in the day. And then you put it all in this nice spreadsheet and then, you know, the founders would start talking to the folks and then you're talking to hundred or 200 investors. That spreadsheet becomes really messy, really quick. And so we're kind of had this idea like, well, why, why don't we build some software? There's, a, you know, 200 different CRM systems used by salespeople and fundraising is really just another sales process, right? It follows many of the same tenants as sales, but there's no CRM system for fundraising. So that was kind of the, the idea, but it took us 10 years to come up with this idea. So it wasn't like an overnight, you know, light bulb. Um, but we're like, we could do better than a spreadsheet. We could build a better, ver, you know, better tool for this than a spreadsheet. Um, and so that's, that's what kind of our first product was, was this investor CRM. And then we've been adding to the, the, the stack, as we call it, ever since then with a database of investors, pitch deck hosting and data room, a bunch of other tools. But that was kind of the first problem that we, we iterated around and solved, and then we just expanded on it. Got it. So what, what is it about the traditional CRM system that the, the, you know, the spreadsheet that the first time in the founder uses that doesn't work? You know, I, I, could, I could get a free version of, of uh, I won't name products, but there's, you know, they all have free versions for startups, uh, or at least ask, ask for it. And then they start using it. So where's the where's the disconnect? Well, so let's think about this. You have your spreadsheet on one end of the spectrum, and then you have, you know, whatever Salesforce, HubSpot. You have other CRMs at the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, the spreadsheet, as I mentioned, becomes very unwieldy very quickly. Yeah, it's free, and it's you know you can do a lot with spreadsheets, especially if you're pretty good at spreadsheets. Uh, but it just becomes unwieldy. Now, the sales-focused CRMs are often very focused on sales, even just the design. Like there's a hundred little nuances to fundraising that, even though fundraising is a sales process, there are a lot of little nuances that don't really apply when you're doing sales. As simple examples, we have some little tags in here where you can put, you know, tag this investor, do, it, do they lead rounds or do they only co-invest? That's something that doesn't apply in sales, but you, once you're fundraising, you actually, and once you get a lead investor, you want to sort your pipeline and see all the people who right. co-invest, things like that. So there's a lot of little nuances that, you know, are specific to fundraising, which is why I think there's a justification for having a dedicated CRM. Um, of course, people, we lose, you know, our com competition, our things like HubSpot and stuff like that. And we lose people to that because they're already familiar with it or whatever. But um, it still is, I think, using the right tool for the job, as I like to say. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, you, you can. I'm, I'm sure you can use just about any CRM, but then you have to customize it to do all the stuff that you, you have to figure out the process. And by the time you figure out the process, you've raised your money, you've, you've you spent all that time customizing the process. And so you could short, shorten it if you just know, hey, I should short, I should, I should sort my investors by lead versus follow on. Right, where I should sort my investors by, uh, uh, you know, seed, pre-seed, round A, and and how do I how do I figure that out? Yeah, kind of makes sense. So as as you've worked with different both the startups, all the 
early stage companies and and then through uh, Founder Suite. What what are some of the top issues you've seen with first or second time founders? What what advice do you give them right out of the bat? Like the the digested, hey, do this or or you're gonna you know or else or else or yeah. else yeah you know one of the one of the things I see a lot of especially first time founders not as much second time founders the first time founders mistake they're making is they're not putting in the time to research and qualify the investors and I use the word qualify which is kind of like in sales you know good salespeople qualify their leads meaning they kind of make sure they actually are a good fit, that they have a budget, that they're, you know, um, worth spending time on. And I think that also applies when fundraising, right? So spending, as I like to say, you know, spend 20 to 30 minutes per investor. Like here's an example. Let's say you're searching our database. You're searching for fintech angels or something like that. You get a list. Great. Now spend another 15, 20, 30 minutes digging into each individual or each fund and really qualifying them, making sure going, clicking through their website, their Twitter, their LinkedIn, making sure they're actually doing fintech deals that they ideally have raised a new fund recently, which means they have money to spend, um, you know, kind of putting in the, the research, the extra little research to come up with that list that's People who do your stage, your sector, your industry, who have capital, drive power to put to work, and you know that's who you that's who you want to be talking to, right? The the so the mistake conversely is people who will just say, "I want to download all three thousand fintech investors and start messaging them," you know, kind of just blasting them or spamming them, and investors will be like, "I'm a private equity fund, I do." you know, $200 million deals and this seed stage startup is is pinging me over and over again, spam, right? I mean, whatever it may be, that's just one example, but like, um, right. or, or even worse, right? You've downloaded a bunch of investors and they do, um, they do bank and payments processing only and you're, uh, you know, something else, right? I mean, there's a lot of like uh, investor angst when when founders clearly haven't done the research so that's that's step number one spending the time to build that list and then i guess step number two is just making sure your pitch is really 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 good i think i see a lot of pitch decks i see a lot from our customers and probably 80 percent are just not ready for showtime um it's hard to build your own pitch i know that because i even struggle with building our pitch deck when I was raising capital, your pitch has to be crystal clear, super simple, have a nice story arc. And, you know, I always tell founders, make sure you've given your pitch 10 times to friendly fire before you go out and talk to real investors. So those are two things to kind of concentrate on in the early days. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, so so really, really know your the investors and what they do before you approach them. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. And then, and then, and have a good pitch. So maybe we can delve into the uh, just a, a little bit on the a good pitch piece. Uh, you, like good simple story with a good simple story arc. Is there what does that really look like? How do I know that it's a good story and not a bad story? 
chapter. We, so I do this talk, it's called um, Pitch Deck Archetypes. And we've kind of categorized, I think we have a dozen, but we focus on like six of them mostly, but there's like a dozen little storylines you can use. Okay. As for example, I won't go through all, all 12, but like example, problem solution, very, very common storyline. Here's a problem we've identified in the marketplace. Here's our solution. And then, you know, the rest of the story is like, here's the team and here's our progress. That's one story arch archetype. Another is, uh, let me think of a few popular ones. There's the crystal ball, right? So it's not necessarily a problem, but like, hey, here's what the future is going to look like. Maybe it's web three or metaverse or, you know, what happens with blockchain five years from now. And here's our plan to kind of build towards that future, right? So that's an interesting um, uh, story archetype. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, there's a, there's a bunch of these. And yeah, are, th are those available? Uh, you know, are, do you have those published anywhere, those 12 types? I do. I think we have it on our, um, and I can, I can send you a link if you want to include it. Yeah, in the notes. Yeah. I think we have it on our, our YouTube. We gave a talk at a, a school one time on this and recorded it. So it's, it's pretty interesting because you get to think about your business um, and, and which storyline really matches your business. If you're really hard, deep tech, you know, the storyline might simply be about your, your, your technological breakthrough. That's another story archetype. Like here's our technological breakthrough. We have a, a thin film uh, display that's, you know, 20% thinner and more flexible or whatever, you know, yeah, absolutely. Like, We've covered a lot of ground and, and we're, you know, the time's flying by. I kind of want to ask this, this other question, which is you helped people raise money and you did that for a, a long part of your career. And then you had to raise money yourself. What, what did you learn from that process of doing it yourself versus helping other people do it? Oh, I love this question. It's it's so much more stressful to do it for yourself. So first of all, I mean, when we were helping companies raise capital, I would kind of come in as like fractional CFO and we'd get really deep into the process. I mean, we we're like part of the company and, and taking on a lot of the stress, but then when it's your own baby, you know, it's really um, a different animal altogether. Like every rejection stings a little more when it's your own baby um and like i i mentioned a minute ago it was actually hard i find it hard to do your own pitch i can crank out pitch decks all day long for other companies i have a whole process for that but when it's building your own pitch it, it's actually kind of hard to like take that high level view of the story when it's your own i mean i think there is a good argument for hiring a consultant or 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 other other teams to help guide your pitch development right um so that was, so the rejection hurt more. I About halfway through, I thought the whole thing was falling apart. And so I had just, what is it? Sort of imposter syndrome, I think it's called, where I'm like, the one thing I know how to do is raise capital. I'm building software for raising capital. I'm trying to raise capital. And this thing seems like it's going to fail. Like, am I just a huge fraud all the way around sure, well sure you know. yeah that's imp that's imposter syndrome yep yeah, yeah you're you've checked the box you're human yeah. <laughs> yeah but fortunately it worked out in the end and now we're, we've been off to the races for five plus years and seen lots of great success but i mean i think a lot of founders go through that 
in whatever version of that, you know, you're having, right? Am I really the expert in this space? Am I really the person to run this startup? You, you just keep putting on your pants in the morning and going to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So last question, if you if you could go back in time and talk to your younger self, what what advice would you give yourself to shorten your journey? You know, I probably, a couple things, just briefly, I, I thought I knew it all when I was launching like our MVP. I thought I had this crystal clear vision of what customers wanted. I really should have spent more time talking to potential customers, interviewing them, giving them simple wireframes. Instead, I spent a lot of, you know, $50,000 creating a, a MVP that was really not what people wanted necessarily, you know, so I really would have spent a lot more time talking to customers and users. Um, also, you know, if I totally rewrote my whole story, maybe I would have joined an early but pretty, you know, successful startup that was growing rapidly and kind of cut my teeth a couple years at some, you know, super fast growing startup just to like kind of learn what it takes to scale a startup. And, and, you know, ideally maybe even like help the CEO of that startup with fundraising and stuff like that to, to build out my network. Um, didn't really do that. Kind of jumped right into it. You know, again, it kind of worked out in the end, but probably would have reduced my mistakes if I spent two years at a fast growing startup before launching my own. So. Uh, Excellent. Yeah. Appreciate it. Excellent advice. Uh, so how do people get in a hold of you, Nathan? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, we you can always check out our site if you are thinking yeah. about raising capital. It's simply foundersuite.com. F-O-U-N-D-E-R-S-U-I-T. Yep, that'll have that in the show notes. So we'll we'll okay. get that and uh, that'll be great. And then I'm I'm at Nathan at foundersuite.com. And then on all our social handles, it's just like Twitter slash foundersuite, Facebook slash foundersuite. Um happy to connect on LinkedIn, maybe just mention, you know, you heard about us on savvy founders so i know know who you are you know um yeah that's probably the best ways excellent well it's been i cannot believe our time has flown by it's been a quick quick time uh, thank you for sharing everything i appreciate it all right thank you for having me and uh keep up yeah. the good work on the show yeah absolutely thanks a lot nathan i really appreciate that uh, for everybody who's been listening, this has been a fast course in how to go about raising capital, what you can do, and think about it through the entire journey. Don't go ask for the money first. Go build your business, and then always talk to the investors along the way. If you like the show, please share it with another founder so they too can shorten their journey. Leave a five-star review. I'm Philip Topham, the Savvy Founder, wishing you a bright and profitable future in both your business and personal lives. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to subscribe and check out our website for tips, thesavvyfounder.com. You can also follow Philip on Clubhouse at The Savvy Founder, wishing you a profitable and bright future. Safe journeys. See you next week.